we are starting our series in the book of Jonah. And we're going to be in Jonah for the next four weeks. Jonah's broken up into four chapters. And so the four chapters kind of break up nice and, ev- uh, nice and evenly. Uh, so we'll do one chapter a week over the next four weeks. Uh, I had a lot of fun getting ready for this series. Uh, this is an awesome story. Uh, a lot of you have probably heard the story of Jonah uh, before. Uh, but I think that uh, over the next four weeks we're going to dive into it in a way where maybe you haven't before. Uh, one of the things that we're going to discover, Jonah is a literary masterpiece. Uh, And really, it's too bad. I wish that we could all read Hebrew because if we could read Hebrew, we would just, we would see just how amazing uh, the book of Jonah really is. Uh, There's all kinds of of just literary features like repetition and there's rhyming uh, and and all kinds of amazing things in the book of Jonah that if we could read Hebrew, we could see it. So uh, luckily I've done some of the hard work of researching some of that and I'm going to point some of those things out along the way as we go throughout the next four weeks. Uh, Curtis will point some about next week as Curtis preaches next week uh, on Jonah chapter 2. We'll we'll show you some of those things, but um, there's no way we could ever get to all of them. So I would really encourage you also as we're going through Jonah, read it for yourself uh, and and really dig into it and research it. It's an awesome book. So uh, Jonah is uh, towards the end of the New Testament. It's in between Obadiah and Micah. And you're like, okay, that doesn't help me at all. I don't know where Obadiah and Micah is either. But uh, if you need some help finding it, uh, I would suggest the Table of Contents. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, The Table of Contents will be in the front of your Bible. So if you can't find Jonah at all, you can either ask your neighbor to help you or you can just look in the Table of Contents. I'm going to give you a few minutes to get to Jonah. Um, But before we uh, start reading it and while you're looking it up, I want to give you a little context. Jonah, I think a lot of times we think of Jonah as a story about a guy that gets swallowed by a fish. And there's all this fixation on the part where Jonah gets swallowed by a fish. And, and so there's questions, well, how did that really happen? And, and did he really get swallowed by a fish or is this this allegory? And was it a whale or was it a fish? And, you know, and, and we have all these debates, but uh, Jonah isn't really about a fish. You know, the, Jonah's not, the book of Jonah is not about a big fish. The book of Jonah is about a big God. Uh, and, you know, J.D. Greer, I was uh, reading some of what he had to say on the book of Jonah, and, and he pointed out something interesting that, you know, Jonah is not a fictional character. Uh, a lot of times people assume that Jonah is a fictional character and that this is a fictional story, uh, but Jonah was not written to be a fairy tale. In fact, nobody, uh, when Jonah was written, thought of it as a fairy tale, and Jesus didn't think of it as a fairy tale. Jesus thought of the story of Jonah as a actual historical uh, reality, okay? And uh, he even uh, refers to it uh, at one point in Matthew chapter 12. Um, and, and one of the things that J.D. Greer pointed out is that, you know, we can get stuck on this. Well, how is it possible? I just don't know if I can believe that, that a guy actually got swallowed by a whale or a fish and survived for three days and then the fish threw him up on the land. I just find that hard to believe. But what, what he points out is that if you find it hard to believe that Jonah was swallowed by a fish and you're stuck on that, remember that we're talking about the God of the Bible. Remember that we're already operating off of the assumption that, that Genesis 1 happened, right? Genesis 1, remember Genesis 1, God said, let there be light and there was light, right? God created the heavens and the earth. Remember that we're talking about the same God who in John chapter 1, he left heaven and came to earth and he became a baby. And God was a baby, Jesus. 
And He lived and He walked among us. And remember that we're talking about the same God who, who Jesus, He died on a cross and then He raised Himself from the dead three days later. So if we're operating on those assumptions, when we think about that, it's, it's actually not that hard to believe that, okay, I guess maybe a guy could get swallowed by a fish and spit back up. I mean, if God can leave heaven and come to earth and die and raise Himself from the dead, I'm pretty sure God could figure out a way to make the book of Jonah a reality. So this story, I don't want us to get caught up on those details. This story is about God, okay? And I think this story, better than most, helps us answer a big question that's going to come up again and again over the next four weeks. We're not just going to hear this question today. We're going to see it over the next four weeks. And here's the question. How does God's mercy and justice interact without canceling each other out? How does God's mercy and justice interact without canceling each other out? How can God be just and yet also be merciful towards sinners at the same time? And so the book of Jonah highlights two really important truths. We'll see both of these truths throughout uh, about God. Number one, He absolutely punishes sin. The book of Jonah teaches us that God absolutely punishes sin. Secondly, the book of Jonah teaches us that God is incredibly merciful to sinners. He's incredibly merciful to sinners. So we're going to get a grasp throughout this series on how these two truths can coexist at the same time, all right? So if you've got the book of Jonah, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1. Let's dig into it. Here's what it says. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... Oh, we're going to stop right there. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So Jonah was a prophet, all right? And he was a prophet to the people of Israel, God's people, in the 8th century B.C. Okay, so approximately 750 plus years before Jesus came on the scene. Now, prophets were usually called to speak to the people of Israel. That's what a prophet's role was, okay? Prophets were, were called by God to go and warn God's people, hey, you need to turn away from your center, you need to stop going this direction, and you need to turn around. And God would use his prophets to call him, his people back to himself. All right. Now, at this particular time in history, when Jonah was alive, Israel was in a time of peace. Their enemies, their two primary, primary enemies were the Arameans and the Assyrians. Okay? And both the Arameans and the Assyrians were kind of preoccupied with other things, so they weren't bothering Israel. So Israel was in a good space, and they were actually prospering. All right? And Jonah had actually been the guy that prophesied uh, and we learn about this in 2 Kings chapter 14, by the way. Jonah had prophesied that the people of Israel were going to have a time of peace. And God had mercy. And what's crazy about that is that Israel had a king at the time named Jeroboam II. And it says that Jeroboam was a wicked man. And he did wicked things in the eyes of the Lord. But even though they were led by this wicked man named Jeroboam, God still had mercy on the people of Israel. And Jonah got to be the guy that prophesied these things. So God, Jonah saw firsthand God's mercy on his people when they didn't really deserve it. All right, And so they're enjoying this time of prosperity and of peace. And then Jonah, God comes to Jonah and tells him to do something unusual. He tells him, I want you to go prophesy to the people in Nineveh. Those are not God's people. Those are Assyrians. Now Nineveh was, was the capital city of Assyria. It was the founding city of Assyria. It was a huge city with about 120,000 people in it. Okay? Uh, part of the Assyrian Empire. Assyria was a mortal enemy of Israel. 
So this was really out of the ordinary for God to call a prophet like Jonah to go and prophesy to Israel's enemies. And the Assyrians had a reputation for being ruthless. These were not good people. As Donald Trump would say, they were not nice. I don't know if you guys listen. He always says that. They were not nice. The Assyrians were not nice people, okay? They had treated Israel ruthlessly in the past. Uh, some of the things that they were known for doing, they would, uh, they would skin uh, men, women, and children alive, and then they would bury them uh, up to their necks in the ground. Uh, they would, uh, you know, they raped, they pillaged, uh, they would, uh, to intimidate their enemies, they would uh, decapitate their enemies and then pile their heads up in front of city gates, okay? Uh, there's actually an image behind me. This is an actual image uh, that was taken from, excavated from about the 7th century. There's all kinds of things like this, and they would boast of their uh, war victories. Uh, these were not, here's, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to do this to grocery out. I'm trying to drive home the point that these were wicked people. These were bad, bad people, okay? And they had done some of these things to Jonah's people, people that Jonah knew, all right? So you can imagine Jonah's surprise when God called him to go and warn Nineveh that they need to repent. Verse 2, look what it says. God says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Okay, so apparently Nineveh's wickedness had reached a point where God uh, would not allow it to continue anymore. Uh, God says their evil has come up before me. It's kind of like this imagery of like, of like smoke in your eyes. You know when you get smoke in your eyes and you're like, that's enough, right? And God was just, he, there, there comes a point at which God will say, enough is enough to wickedness. And that's apparently what had happened with Assyria. He had seen their brutality, their pagan idol worship, and he called Jonah to go to them and tell them, repent, change your ways, or else. Now, I want you to notice that we're already seeing God's wrath and mercy interact at this point. God is very angry over the wickedness of Nineveh, right? And, and I don't think any of us would blame him, right? Any sane person, any moral person would look at what these Assyrians were doing and say, and be angry at that, right? We'd be angry at, at the injustice of that. And yet, the very fact that God even gives them a chance to repent highlights the mercy of God. Now, Jonah makes it pretty clear what he thinks about this idea in the next verse. See, apparently Jonah had his own plans for his life and they didn't involve going to help Nineveh out by giving them a message to warn them from God. Look at what Jonah does in verse 3. It says, But Jonah rose to flee to go to Tarshish, that's a hard word to say, Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So what's amazing about this is that Jonah doesn't even say anything, okay? Jonah just bounces. He's like, I'm out. Doesn't say anything to God, right? Doesn't argue. He doesn't bargain. He gives no explanation. He just takes off running, like immediately, okay? Now, Jonah gets a bad rap, I think, okay? A lot of us, when, when we look at Jonah, we look at this story, we see, you know, ahead in chapter 4, the pity party that Jonah throws for himself, and, and we shake our heads at Jonah, and we think, what a sorry excuse for a Christian. What a sorry excuse for a man of God. I'm much better than Jonah. But, but before you go to that place in your mind, I want you to check yourself this morning. 
Because Jonah isn't as bad as you think he is, and you aren't as good as you think you are. Jonah isn't as bad as you think he is, and you aren't as good as you think you are. Put yourself in Jonah's shoes. God tells you to go to this wicked, terrible place with wicked people who've brutally treated people that you know. And, you know, Jonah was a man of God. Um, he was a prophet, and aside from this episode here in the book of Jonah, for all we know, Jonah was a faithful prophet who did what God told him to do. He, he kept the law. He kept the Sabbath, right? He faithfully prophesied to God's people. For all intents and purposes, Jonah was a pretty good guy. But God had just called Jonah out of his comfort zone. Jonah was willing to obey God up to a certain point, but not in this area. And so Jonah runs. Now God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. And, it's, and we see in verse 3 that Jonah runs to Tarshish. You'll see a map up behind me. I think it's going to throw up on the screen. Okay, so, so take a look at this. Nineveh is up here, right? Nineveh is going east. Jonah goes west. And Jonah doesn't just go west. He goes way west. Okay, in fact, scholars aren't even exactly sure where Tarshish was, but they're pretty sure it was on the coast of Spain somewhere. In other words, it was outside the known world, okay? People just didn't go to Tarshish, all right? So when Jonah ran, he ran as fast and as far as he could possibly go. In fact, some scholars estimate that just to get to Tarshish, okay, in the 8th century BC, would have been about a three-year round trip to go all the way there and all the way back. Three-year round trip. So this dude was booking it, and he was gone, okay? You see, when, when you run from God physically, you distance yourself spiritually. Disobedience in any area of our lives always creates distance between you and God. And we see this distance spiritually. One, I told you that Jonah's a literary masterpiece. There's, there's a couple of words uh, you know, that you'll see here in verses 3 to 5. Notice this downward progression that Jonah goes on. It says in verse 3, Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. In verse 5, Jonah had gone down into the bottom of the ship. And ultimately, we're going to see at the end of chapter 1, Jonah go down into the water. So he's slowly but surely heading on this downward trajectory. Trajectory. The only direction you can go when you run from God is down. It's the only direction you can go. So why did Jonah run? If you notice, the author doesn't, doesn't give us an exact reason. The author leaves this question unanswered on purpose so that we can search our own hearts on this one. The purpose is to cause us to ask, why am I running from God? What is my Nineveh? You and I aren't that different from Jonah. In fact, if there's any area of your life that you aren't obeying God in right now, you're just like Jonah. What's that one area in your life that you aren't willing to trust God with? It could be a habitual sin that you just don't want to give up. It could be a relationship that you know deep down is not God's will, but you're not willing to give it up. Maybe it's somebody that, that you know you need to forgive and you just don't want to do it. And you've been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. 
Maybe you know God has been wanting you to share the gospel with someone, but you've been avoiding it and, and putting it off and coming up with excuses. What are you running from? Here's the thing, guys. Like Jonah, we have a tendency to run from God when His plans conflict with our plans. Like Jonah, just like Jonah, we have a tendency to run from God when His plans conflict with our plans. We'll follow God up to a certain point as long as His commands don't mess up our life or our comfort too much. But we have a tendency to run when things get uncomfortable, don't we? So the question I want us to spend the rest of our time looking at this morning is this. What does God do when His children run from Him in disobedience? What does God do? Well, let's keep reading to see. Look at verse 4. So Jonah runs and then verse 4 but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that, so that the ship threatened to break up. So immediately, God shows Jonah just how fragile his plan is. Jonah's plan, a boat. I'm going to get on this boat, and I'm going to run away. That's what I'm going to do. And so immediately, God threatens to break the ship apart. Okay, so God is already showing Jonah, your plans, your alternate plans, they're fragile. You see, when we try to put our plans before God's plans, God will quickly show us just how fragile our plans really are. I told you guys last week that the stormy sea uh, was widely recognized in the ancient Near East as a symbol of chaos and of death and of, of friction with the gods. Okay, so even pagan people would have recognized this as, uh, this is not good. And we're going to see that the sailors are reacting this way, right? Immediately, what's the response? They start crying out to their gods and try to figure out, which of the gods have we angered or upset? Okay, so that was a universal uh, belief. Now, one thing that will certainly happen when we run from God's call in our life is that God won't let us get very comfortable and He won't let us get very far. You notice, Jonah didn't make it anywhere close to Tarshish. In fact, pretty soon, pretty quickly right away, God sends a storm onto the sea. And that's all Jonah wanted. He just wanted to be comfortable, right? He just wanted to be left alone. God, just, just don't make me go and do this. I don't want to have to go and do this thing that's going to bring me out of my comfort zone. And so since Jonah is unwilling to warn Nineveh of God's wrath, God decides to give Jonah a little taste of his wrath himself. See, here's, here's the thing, guys. Here's, the, here's one of the big points I want you to take home. When God's children run from Him, He always catches them. When God's children run from Him, He always catches them. And if it takes discipline to get your attention, then God will do it. It amazes me how we still get surprised when we find ourselves miserable as a result of disobeying God uh, or as a result of disobedience at all. I was, uh, when I was six years old, uh, I grew up in the country. And... Um, we had several acres that we lived on, and my dad had a shed uh, at, on our property. And, um, you know, this shed had windows. And I was, uh, you know, bored, and it was a hot summer day. And we would, you know, usually run around, uh, you know, catching crawdads or going fishing or, you know, playing baseball, something like that. And we got really bored, me and my friend. And uh, my dad had this big pallet of bricks. And we, I'm a boy, so I like to break and destroy things, okay? And um, we thought, well, wouldn't it be fun if we smashed a window? That would just be a lot of fun. And my dad was at work. And so we decided, uh, well, we're going to get some bricks and we're going to throw them through the windows of the shed because that would just be really cool. And we didn't really think beyond that about what was going to happen afterwards. We just decided to go ahead and, and let loose. And so we did. We threw these bricks 
through the windows and uh, it was fun. It was fun. Don't get me wrong. I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, and then um, a good rear end whipping later, I found myself moving stacks of bricks from one property to the next, well, end of the property to the next as my punishment, wallowing in my misery as I uh, limped along and thought about how stupid I was for throwing those bricks through that window. It amazes me how we still get surprised though, right? Like what was I thinking was going to happen? You know, not all suffering in our lives comes as a direct result of our sin, okay? Not all suffering comes as a direct result of our sin, but a lot of it does. A lot of it does. So if you're unhappy or if you're miserable this morning and you know that you're currently walking in disobedience to God, can I just ask you in the most loving way that I know how this morning, what are you thinking? I mean, if you're miserable and you know that you're disobeying God in a certain area of your life, what do you think is going to happen? Hebrews 12.10 tells us that God's discipline is always for our good so that we might share in His holiness. See, God, God's will is to make you like Him. And if you're not doing that, if you're kind of kicking against the goad, so to speak, God's going to put you in some, some bad situations. He's going to allow you to go through some discipline because He wants you to wake up because His desire for you is to be like Him. And if that takes discipline, that's what God will do. Now maybe another question might be rising in your mind at this point in the story of Jonah. Why all this theater from God? I mean, this seems like an awfully serious reaction to one little act of disobedience. I mean, did he really have to send like this giant storm and threaten Jonah's life and the lives of all the people on the boat? But here's the point of this storm. The point is that there's no such thing as a little sin against a holy God. God's not impressed with you because your sin doesn't appear to be as bad as your neighbor's sin. You know that? God is not impressed that your sin isn't as bad as your neighbor's sin. If you're counting on that to get you into heaven, you're in for a rude awakening when you stand before God. You see, being a Christian is to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. So that means that Jesus is king over every area of your life. And that's exactly what was happening with Jonah here. And that's what God is showing Jonah. You see, he looked religious. He looked good. Jonah was doing good things. But there was this one area in Jonah's life that he was not willing to let God have control over. So what did God do? God exposed it. God exposed that area. See, when God's children run for him, from him, he always catches them. And if you are his child, he will discipline you in love until you repent. Because his desire is for you to be like him. Now you'd think that after this storm comes on that Jonah would get the point And that he'd repent and that he'd realize that, well, maybe I should obey God now. But that's far from what happens. Let's keep reading in verse 5 and, and see what happens next. So we read, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. 
Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told him. So not only does Jonah get rebuked by God with a storm, then Jonah basically gets rebuked by these pagan sailors that he didn't think were worthy of God's mercy to begin with. The irony that there's so much irony in the book of Jonah, and it's just fantastic. It's really awesome to see all the irony that happens in this book. So apparently the storm wasn't enough to get Jonah's attention, but it sure got the sailors' attention, didn't it? You see, one of the dangers of not responding to God's correction is that we can develop spiritual blind spots in our lives. We can fall asleep and God's voice becomes quieter and quieter. And it, you know, it's possible to experience God's discipline and to still not respond. And that's what we see Jonah doing here. Jonah is asleep in the middle of the storm. He's snoozing. And what will happen when we begin to uh, become deaf to God's discipline in our lives is we'll start looking for people who will tell us what we want to hear. And we'll even look for ways to twist God's Word, the Bible, to make it say what we want to say. And, and we'll start ignoring parts of it that we don't like and paying attention to the parts that we do like. And here's what's so dangerous about this, and, and I want you to pay very, very close attention here. It's possible to ignore God's correction in a certain area long enough that your heart can become hardened to a point where God just lets you go. The scariest place that you could be is walking in disobedience when there's not a storm. I want you to listen to a passage, Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. Here's what it says. It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now, I want to be really careful here, okay? What I am not saying is that you can lose your salvation. I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. This verse is referring to someone who consistently demonstrates an unrepentant attitude, who knows God's commands, but willfully chooses to say no. See, Jesus says in John chapter 10 that no one can snatch my sheep out of my hand. Nobody can snatch my sheep out of my hand. But Jesus also says in John chapter 10 that my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So if you persist in disobedience, if you persist in refusing to follow the shepherd's voice, it may turn out that you were never his sheep in the first place. Guys, God's sheep will stray. They're sheep. Sheep are dumb. That's what sheep do. All of us, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned everyone to his own way. But God's sheep will always respond to the correction of the shepherd. They hear the shepherd calling them back and they follow him. 
And here's the thing, if you are God's sheep, God is going to relentlessly pursue, pursue you. Your shepherd will relentlessly pursue you. And he relentlessly pursues Jonah. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And then the sailors were exceedingly afraid and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So ironically, here Jonah claims to fear God. But it's really the sailors who demonstrate a proper reverence for God. And what I love about this is that God plays no favorites. Jonah, the proud man of God, finds himself being rebuked by these ignorant sailors who two minutes ago were praying and calling out to gods of wood. And now they're teaching Jonah a lesson on the fear of the Lord. So despite all of Jonah's running, God isn't letting him go. And now Jonah finds himself, get this, Jonah finds himself right in the position that he was trying to avoid the whole time. He's right in the place where he was trying to run from, okay? He's in front of a bunch of pagans who are facing God's judgment and they're asking him how they can be saved. That's what he was trying to avoid the whole time and now he's here. Except now it's in the middle of a storm on a boat in the middle of the sea. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 11. So they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down? This is reminiscent of the crowds uh, that Peter was preaching to in the book of Acts at Pentecost. See, after Peter preached the gospel and he declared that Jesus had died on the cross and been risen from the dead, they responded, it says they were cut to the heart and they responded, Brothers, what shall we do to be saved? It's the same thing these pagan sailors are asking Jonah here. And Jonah gets the answer partially right. He gets it partially right. But his answer actually betrays the root of his disobedience and of our disobedience. But, and, and it's by looking at what Jonah leaves out. Jonah gets it halfway right. Look at what Jonah says in verses 12 to 13. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this, this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So Jonah got one thing right. Jonah knew and understood that the wages of sin is death. Jonah knew that God is just and that God must punish sin. But what Jonah didn't understand was God's mercy. That was Jonah's problem to begin with. Jonah's disobedience came from his ignorance of God's heart. You see, Jonah couldn't imagine that God would extend mercy to these undeserving pagans before this whole ordeal. And after this ordeal, Jonah couldn't possibly imagine that, that God would expend, extend mercy to him after his own disobedience was exposed. So Jonah's answer for what should we do is, I just need to get God's judgment. Throw me in. Throw me into the sea. Jonah couldn't imagine that God could have mercy even on him in this moment. But God's discipline of Jonah and God's discipline in your life and in my life is never retrib retributive. That's a hard word to say. 
It's never retributive. It's always redemptive. What that means is that God, God's punishment in our lives, God's discipline in our lives is never to, to get you back. It's never to put you in your place. It's always to draw you back to himself. It's always to restore a right relationship with him. It's always for your good. God was teaching Jonah the gospel. He was teaching Jonah that the gospel is the cure for our disobedience. The cure is not to try harder. The cure is the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is that someone else has paid for our sins. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. When the crowds asked Peter, what must we do to be saved? And let's, let's read, what was Peter's answer in Acts chapter 2, verse 38? It's on the screen behind me. I'm just going to look at it because I forgot to mark it in my Bible. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So yes, there must be a repentance of sins. There must be a turning away of sin. But there also must be baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And so what is baptism? Well, baptism is a symbol of being united to Jesus in His death and resurrection. It's an acknowledgement that Jesus is our substitute. That Jesus died in our place where we deserve to die. Where Jesus took God's wrath where we deserved God's wrath. Let's keep reading to the end of the chapter in Jonah chapter 1. Verse 14, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Do you see what's happening here? Are you guys starting to catch what's happening here? When Jonah was thrown into the waters of God's judgment, immediately they ceased. God's wrath was satisfied. Okay? When Jonah was thrown into the waters, immediately the waters of God's judgment ceased. God's wrath is satisfied. Jonah was the sacrifice that saved the sailors' lives. And yet, Jonah couldn't be the ultimate substitute for sin. Why? Because Jonah was also a sinner. And so what did God do? God sent a better Jonah. God sent Jesus Christ. Unlike Jonah, Jesus never sinned. Jesus truly did keep the law. He was perfect, and Jesus came for one reason. He came to be thrown into the waters of God's judgment for us. See, just as Jonah was thrown into the raging waters of God's judgment, Jesus was baptized into the waters of God's judgment on the cross. And just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, Jesus was in the belly of the earth for three days in a tomb. And just as Jonah was spit out of the belly of the whale three days later, Jesus came out of the grave three days later and rose from the dead. When God's children run from Him, He always catches them. You see, Jonah points forward to a better Savior. Yes, 
God must punish sin. But the way that God is able to be both just and merciful is that God sent His sinless, spotless Son, Jesus. And Jesus was thrown into the waters of God's judgment for us so that we could receive mercy without cost and for free. So who are you today? Maybe you are like Jonah and you're on the run. If you're running from God this morning, He's going to expose your sinfulness and He's going to ensure that your idols will fail you. Jonah had plenty of opportunities to respond to God's correction, but, but he didn't respond. And so I'm telling you, if God has to take you to the bottom of the ocean to get your attention, He will. If you're walking in disobedience this morning, you'll know it. You'll know it. The Holy Spirit will be speaking to you, and you'll know exactly what area of your life it is. See, you guys sitting here, you know what God's calling you to do. You know the areas that you've been disobedient in. The answer for you this morning is twofold. First, it's to confess this disobedience, to repent and, and obey. Stop running from God. Just turn around and start obeying Him. Trust Him. He knows what's best for you. And secondly, is to remember that Jesus has already been judged in your place. So you don't need to punish yourself. You don't need to put yourself through punishment. Rest in the grace of Jesus Christ. Maybe you aren't like Jonah. Maybe you're one of the sailors on the boat this morning. You don't really know how to have a relationship with God or you haven't really invested much time into it, but you're afraid. Life isn't working out. And like the sailors crying out to their gods, all the things that you're turning to for, for contentment and for help and for all these things, they're failing you. You're just, you're in the middle of this mess and life feels like a storm and you don't really have peace and, and you're crying out for this and you're grasping for that and none of it's working. None of it's working. If that's you, know this morning that God is trying to get your attention. That's the purpose of the storm in your life. He wants you to know Him. He created you to worship Him. And you can have a brand new relationship with Him this morning because of what Jesus has done for you. Jesus is the only way you're ever going to find the peace that you're looking for. Period. So stop looking elsewhere. You can try to, to row harder like the sailors did to try to get to land, but you won't make it because ultimately it's only found in Jesus. So trust in Jesus this morning for the forgiveness of your sins. We're going to close our time and um, at Fellowship Oshawa, what we do at the end of the sermon is we throw up discussion questions on the screen. Okay, so there's going to be some discussion questions and you guys can get with your group. We'll spend the next seven to eight minutes uh, just discussing some of these uh, before we close out. Um, and if you know that, um, if you're here this morning and you don't really know where you stand with God, I'd encourage you to talk to somebody at your table um, or come and find myself or come and find Curtis or Kyle or, or Chris, uh, any of the leaders here at the church, come and talk to us. We'd love to talk to you about that. Or maybe uh, you are a Christian, but you know, like Jonah, you've been running from God. 
Uh, and if that's you this morning and you just need to confess that to somebody and you just need to talk, come and talk to us. You can use the discussion time to do that or you can pull one of us to the side. Uh, but don't leave this morning without dealing with that because I'm telling you, it's just going to get worse. It's just going to get worse. Stop running from God this morning, okay? Uh, so I want you to know that that's one of the reasons we do these discussion times so that you guys can talk about these things uh, and we want you guys to be able to uh, find the help that you're looking for here. So we're going to go into this time of discussion. Uh, and then after that, we'll close with a closing song and offerings, okay?